Okay, welcome, uh, listeners, to Fatal Error. Thank you so much for tuning in. I guess we still say tuning in. Um, yeah, definitely. Dialing in this frequency on your, your <laughs> podcast players. I'm Chris Dezombak. And I'm Sarush Kanlo. And on today's episode, Sarush uh, wants to talk about the law of Demeter. Uh, and I, I do too. We both want to talk about the law of Demeter or um, the principle of least knowledge. Um, this is something that I'm not totally sure if we have 30 minutes if we can talk for 30 minutes about it, but I wouldn't be surprised if we can. I think there's the law of Demeter touches on so much of these little concepts of like encapsulation and loose coupling and information hiding that like, I think we'll be, I think we'll get there. Okay, cool. I just spilled a little bit of water on my mouse, but that's fine. No problem. Everything's fine. Everything is fine. So do you want to give an overview of uh, what the law of Demeter is first? Yeah, I would be happy to. So I've always, I'm going to go ahead and, preface this with like i'm not exactly sure where the law of demeter is useful and where it's not but i will give the definition that i've always heard which is basically if you're an object and you have children don't talk to your children's children basically sometimes this is, this is paraphrased as you should only use one dot so if you have like you know self dot uh my child so that, that's like that doesn't count because you're accessing a, a member on self and then you have your one dot which is like my children's. Hmm, did I say this right? I'm not sure. I'm not trying to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can tell your child to do something, but you can't do anything with your child's child. Like, right. Yeah. So, hmm. Okay. I'm I'm looking at the Wikipedia article for Law of Demeter now. It is so named says, for its origin in the Demeter Project, an adaptive programming and aspect-oriented programming effort, which was so successful uh, that its link is still read on Wikipedia. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll call it the principle of least knowledge then. Okay. Uh, but so that says a unit should have, and I guess in in, ter in terms of unit here, we're mostly talking about a class or a type. I think so. Or script. like a function that gets past some object. Or maybe, okay, well, so let's go over what this says in terms of units. And then I have something to say about maybe what a unit actually right. is. So units should have limited knowledge about other units. It should only know about other like classes closely related to the current class right. uh class should only talk to its friends not to strangers right. this is also i i see already why we're confused about yeah, this. yeah it's very confusing uh and then only talk to your immediate friends that last one i think is what you're getting to with this sort of colloquial uh don't use more than one dot right right and that's so, kind of how i've always heard it in in just like you know common conversation Right. So to kind of rephrase that interpretation, it's that you, you know, you being a class in a program may have like things that are various properties or references to other objects. And it's okay for you to use those other objects, but not okay for you to talk to, not okay for you to use those other objects references to yet other objects, right? right. More distant objects. I think one nice way to think about it is like, don't rely on the layout of another object rely on that object's interface. Are these not part of that object's interface if you can get to them? So in some cases, the object chooses to make its layout public. And I think that's generally a flaw of the object. If it's just like if every property on the on the object is public, it's either a very, it should be either a very, very dumb object or type whatever. Or it is like a poorly designed object, especially, you know, when you get into the territory where it becomes everything's variable everything's mutable mm -hmm. and uh, then you get to the point for sure where it's like uh not that well-designed object 
when you say the word, when you refer to the layout of an object, what do you mean by that? So in C and, and more like, um, I guess, primitive closer to the metal languages, you would literally know like the memory layout of an mm-hmm. object. You would say like, this is in these bytes and these words, and this is in these words. And in Swift, you don't have access to that stuff, but you do have access to like the properties that the thing has. And that I think is a shorthand for its layout, basically. That is what the layout kind of looks like. Yeah. Okay. So you mean like literally the class's layout and memory. Yeah. So so you're thinking that the principle of least knowledge means maybe relying on the publicly declared interface of a class rather than rather than what? I'm still not exactly sure what you're the way I would put it is this. So um, let me give you a concrete example. On one of my projects, I have a concept of like a task queue. And I have mm-hmm. a uh, variable that represents a, an array of task items. And then this queue like works through that array. I could make that array public. I could make that array's property public. And that was what I would be calling like like publicizing the, uh, or publishing rather, the layout of the task queue. Um, but instead what I chose to do is basically add one add method and the add takes a task and internally it decides how to append it to the array. That's to me the difference between like basically publishing your layout and publishing an interface that is the correct way to access that internal layout, whatever it is. So we may need to add thread safety to this class and that's something that's really easy to do if your public interface is merely this uh, add method, but it's much more complicated if now your array is just open to the world to be touched by anybody. So, right. Okay. So let me let me put this question to you then. Uh, if let's assume that you're uh, writing a class, and uh, you're using another class's like public interface to get to yet another object to one of right. your like uh, children's children. Uh, what's the problem there if you're using the public interface to to do that? The problem can be sometimes that the public interface is not very well designed, is my thought on it. Okay. So if the implementation details of that class change, then all of a sudden code that was valid is no longer valid. I'm kind of thinking in the same vein, like maybe if you're doing that, you're kind of assuming a lot about how the object that you have a reference to is using or is related to the other objects that it's related to, right? You're right. You're making an assumption there about right. And I guess it's important to note that maybe you are, like, maybe that assumption is sometimes perfectly valid. Like, if it's uh, so, some things are dumb, and some things are never going to change. Like a rect, like CG rect is always going to have an x, a y, a height, and a width. Like you can rely, or like it's going to have an origin with an x and a y, and a size with a height and a width. Those are sort of intrinsic to... Yeah, the idea of a rectangle is just so baked into everything that we do. It's just never going to change. And I think it's fine (laughs) to rely on that. But in terms of as you're writing these abstractions for yourself that may uh, take on new requirements and new responsibilities and and, um, need to do those things in a slightly different way, it's important to create that public interface correctly. Right. So to use another example here... If I'm writing an object that wants to write something to a uh, to a database or to some storage mechanism, maybe I'm using a class that like gives me data that also for some reason exposes the database that it uses to store data in, right? Right, right. and it might be an accident, like somebody be... just forgot to put the private modifier on it. Right, that's that's a possibility. 
uh, even though it might work for me to grab that reference to that database and stick some some data in there, that probably isn't the right thing to do, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I don't think that's that disagreeable of an idea. And I think it's a little bit no. different than what Law of Demeter is kind of presented as being. It's presented as being right. don't use two dots. Yeah, or the principle of least knowledge is don't don't use two dots. Right. So going right. back, I'm also wondering now that we're really like kind of getting into this, I'm wondering the top of the Wikipedia article summarizes this in terms of units, not classes. Right. And so maybe in our applications, we're thinking um, rather than saying a class should only talk to its friends, not to strangers, maybe say like each module, right? Or each like area of an application should only talk to like classes with or types within that area and maybe to the externally defined interface, like entry point for other areas. Do you, right. do you see where I'm going with this? I do. I think the reason they picked unit is because they don't want to tie this too closely to object-oriented design or functional design. So I think the idea is like a function might be a unit where a function might get past some yeah. structure of data. But then okay. also like there's no – I guess you could use another function to get the child of the child out of the thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So take maybe a, a different tack here. What do you think the what, – what are the motivations – for uh, the principle of least knowledge? I think the motivation here is basically, I mean, I, I think it's very closely related to the single responsibility principle stuff we talked about. If you write code that assumes too much about the world that it's in, any change to that world causes the code that you just wrote to be brittle. And that is bad, is I think, I think the shortest way to put it. Okay. And so the principle of least knowledge says by like reaching far into other objects and getting like getting dependencies or telling things far away from me to do things i'm assuming more and more about like the structure of the application and about the architecture surrounding me yeah yeah i think that's and those right. assumptions okay and and those assumptions can lead to uh can lead to bugs so okay this seems this seems reasonable before we move on too far from the concept of like not publicizing your entire layout of like what properties you have or whatever there's a blog post i'm going to throw into the show notes it's called set the settings set which is a really nice <laughs> okay. pun it's by uh graham lee if i'm remembering his last name yeah graham lee he is a uk-based programmer i think his blog is really great definitely check it out he's got tons of good stuff but one of the things that he talks about is like the idea of setting the, a set is actually in English one of the words with the most number of meanings. And we use it in programming for tons of stuff. So we use it for like unordered collections. We use it for like setting a property on a value. We use it, we use it for tons of stuff. Or settings, we use it for setting up stuff, all this stuff. So he brings up all these things. And so he, he basically, in this article in particular, singles out the idea of publicizing your setters and your getters, and that's more of a Java-y type thing, or like when you write Objective-C, you, mm -hmm. um, when you write app property, you get a set and a get method synthesized for you for free. And he's saying like, well, sometimes you're not setting something. Sometimes you're updating something. Sometimes you're renaming something. Sometimes you're, sometimes you can provide a little bit more semantic context than just set thing. And I think like, you know, user.name equals whatever has the same flaw sometimes. Like, why are you changing the name of this user? Why can you change the name of this user? Like, aren't names like 
an identifier that generally don't need to change? Is it like, you know, like what kind of name change is this? And and providing more information in your API is better for the readers of your code. And it also, providing a strict API around the stuff that you're working with lets you change the internals without having to worry too much about how much people rely on things from the outside. And so this blog post really crystallized this idea for me. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I will... Uh... I have I didn't read this before the show. I did not know this post existed until just now, so I'll take a look at it after after it's the a, show. It's a really really good one. It's a very good one. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So I'm still uh, sort of mulling over the stuff because I, I really honestly hadn't thought that much about uh, the law of Demeter or principle of least knowledge uh, until now. But sort of uh, thinking about the motivation, which is uh, right, just sort of. Reducing coupling as a means to reduce the number of assumptions that an object makes about the world around it. I, right. I, I like that motivation. So in Swift, what are some things that we can do to follow uh, at least the spirit of this motivation, right? We, we agree that it maybe doesn't necessarily mean that you're not allowed to use two dots. Uh, so, so what does it mean for us? I use computed properties a lot. And shout out to Brian Iris, who thinks that there should be no difference between functions that take no parameters and properties. And I think he's really right about that. But like, basically, like I think just a, a property is just another way to expose details that you want to expose about um, to the outside world. And as much mm-hmm. as long as you can control how you expose that stuff, I think you're good. And so that's part of the reason that I use computer properties a lot. So let's say if you have like, it's a couple of interesting cases because like, let's say you have a book that has many pages and a page has many lines. You might call book.pages flat map lines to get all the lines, or you could make a computed property on each page that returns each line and a computer property on the book that returns all mm-hmm. lines. And so the book only knows that it has pages and it gets all the lines for the pages. Yeah. That being said, sometimes I can get a little bit unwieldy because it feels like you're defining a bunch of code that you don't really need to be defining. Like a, People know how to get the lines out of a page. So it can feel like you're adding a bunch of intermediate steps. Now, the, the place that I think you have to make that call is when you are trying to decide, like, how do other people use this? Do I want other people to just be able to reach in and mutate these lines as they please or read these lines as they please? Do I want to hide that information in some way and say, like, oh, book might be made up of pages, but it might be made up of images. It might be made up of some HTML-like mm-hmm. DOM tree that's, like, representative of, a, of, a, of an EPUB. Um, how do I want to represent that stuff in, uh, to the outside world? So I think that when you when you are at that stage, you have to think about what other objects use this and like how likely is this to change. Okay, so I like this sort of thinking about your interface and right depending on your intended use cases and how likely your implementation or dependencies are to change, you may bubble some of this some of this API up to your sort of oh, what's a good word for this almost entry point for that object graph right, right. if that makes sense. Okay, so I, I like that. Oh, go ahead. Um, you mentioned like an entry point into your object graph. The other the other place that I think you would really be interested in some of this stuff is when you're testing something, if you have to mock out some dependency like this book, you all of a sudden have to make a mock that is the page as well, and you have to return an array of pages, and then from the page you have to mock out the yeah. returning of the lines. Whereas if you just had a function on book that returned all the lines, you can just mock out that one function. Or fake, or whatever the right term is. That's true. Yeah. So yeah. really consider uh, consider testing. Right. That's that's a really good point. Right. And as hmm. ever, testing okay. provides like the motivation that you need to execute the good design in your app. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so I'm sort of thinking here. Uh, 
as you're programming, it's probably useful not just thinking about your interfaces like that, but to think about maybe not necessarily even modules, since your, your entire application in Swift is probably one module, but to sort of think about the different maybe domains or areas within your application and really think about the entry point isn't quite the right phrase, but uh, I don't have a better phrase now. Try to think about like the entry points or sort of the main external APIs for each of these areas of your application and either don't cross uh, one of those boundaries with a lot of, you know, like getters or method calls. And if you're finding that you, you have to do that to achieve something, that's probably an indication that, uh, as you note, some of that should be captured or consolidated into like one API at the sort of external surface of that area of the application. Does it, does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. I think you're definitely onto something, which is maybe if I can slightly rephrase that, if you have a situation where you are violating the law of Demeter and you have thing dot thing dot thing dot first dot thing, then that's like a code smell that suggests a bad design. It suggests that you go back and look at the design of, of how you laid these things out. Yeah, absolutely. Or uh, again, if you're like crossing from one uh, area of the app into the other somewhere in that chain of things, right? That's right, probably right. a good point to introduce a new API that hides at least some of that behind, uh, like behind a, a nicer API. One thing that can be nice in terms of like breaking up your app into different components without having to worry too much about like setting up modules and doing all that stuff is doing the fake namespacing with an enum with no cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and using that and saying, okay, this is the authentication part of my app. And everything that is in here is for authentication. And this is the push notification part of my app. And if, if the authentication part has to reach into the push notification part a lot, that's really weird. And that's like definitely a sign that like something has gone, yeah. something has gone wrong and I need to reevaluate what's, what's up here. And that's a really, uh, it bears mentioning too, we should find and add a link to the show notes about that trick of using an enum with no cases just as a namespace in Swift. Uh, for sure. I have a blog post on it. Oh, that works. works fine. Yeah. I don't know how I missed that. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no problem. I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned uh, testing too, because right, like reaching far into an object and its dependencies is going to make uh, testing uh, whatever it is that you're writing in isolation incredibly difficult. And so that's another motivation to, um, if not adhere to the, to the principle of least knowledge as being just one dot, like to adhere to it in spirit, right? Just know that every time you reach one uh, like level further out in the object graph, that's a whole lot more that you have to set up in your uh, testing suite. Right. I have a, a code sample from a friend where they were just trying to make something work. And they were pre presenting this as good code, but it was basically, it was like a, some kind of transit app. And it was like a filter and like to get like a bunch of trips, let's say, it was a filter that gets a bunch of routes and then flat maps those routes, then a bunch of route IDs, and then it gets the directions from those. So it's another filter flat map, another filter flat map. And sometimes these filter flat map chains can be really nice to write and really pleasing. That like, oh, I, I turned to this really elegant functional chain. But that, like, even though you're not accessing properties directly on the thing, in some sense you are relying on a ton of knowledge of like, well, I know that this type is going to have this type of thing and this type of property on it, and then I'll know, I know that'll come out as an array that I can flat map. And mm -hmm. I know that this acts like that. And you end up with a ton of knowledge in just, you know, let's say this looks like nine, nine lines of code. And so that can also be a bit of a code smell, even though you're not directly accessing like properties in a chain. Maybe, although, I mean, that 
I, I suspect that, that at least each of those parts could be tested in isolation, right? For from what you described. Well, but it's it's one set of code that says like, hey, get get all these and then filter by this, then get all these, then filter by this, then get all these, then filter by this. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. Stuff stuff is not easy. There's something I'm looking for in the Apple docs. It was really funny. And I can't find it anymore, but it was basically like it was somewhere in the AL assets in the ALSS documentation, and it was really absurd, just like a crazy chain of, oh, this might be it. I think this is it. So it's it's player item dot tracks dot object index zero dot asset track dot asset dot duration. And the idea is that's how you get the duration of a thing. And, you know, with, with public APIs like Apple's, you're pretty sure that that stuff is not going to change. But, like, if you are going to rely on this in a lot of places, it may make sense to just turn this into a computer property, expose it somewhere, and then just use that that exposed thing rather than rather than just yeah. having all this crazy code everywhere. Yeah, I'm wondering. Uh, I don't know that much about the Demeter project that this law apparently came from, um, but I'm wondering if that was in a statically type check language or if that was in a more um, Objective C or Ruby style language. Uh, what difference do you think it would make? Well. I'm thinking, so you mentioned that, you know, with that example, we know these are in Apple's frameworks and they're probably not going to change. But if something in that chain did change, in Swift, that's something that the compiler would at least flag and say, hey, this object at index is no, like, no longer has this property, right? Right. Whereas if it were in Ruby or Objective-C, like, that, that increases the surface of things that can break your application without you even knowing so substantially. Whereas here, at least you would know about it. Um, I'm looking at the website for for Demeter, the aspect-oriented software development thing. It looks like, yeah, but I can't tell what languages it was. It was Northeastern University, looks like. Yeah, I am too. This is going to be something that uh, I will look at after we record, but it's going to be really, really boring to hear me read through this website. (laughs) Yeah, that checks out. But yeah, I guess my big fear about Law of Demeter was that I've heard so much about this and know, it's it's got law in the name, even though there's no laws when there's when you're programming. I had a coworker, a former coworker, who called it the gentle suggestion of Demeter. I I think from going forward, I'm probably going to call it the principle of least knowledge. Yeah, and that is a better name, but also nobody's going to know what you're talking about. Uh, no one knows what you're talking about with law of Demeter, anyway. That's true. That's fair. The principle of don't use two dots. <laughs> but it's just like I feel like that's such a reduction of what it actually is and what's what's actually important here there's like oh well if i just you know create this variable on another line then i'm fine you know that create the intermediate variable on yeah. another line it's like well you've kind of skirted around like, as you said earlier like the letter of the law rather than obeying the spirit of the law but you're creating the same problem or or not creating the the same non-plot. exactly so do you think you have a a good handle on what law of demeter is yeah uh yeah, I think I do. I, like I said, hadn't really thought about this uh, seriously in quite a while. Uh, I think that going forward, I'm still going to call it the principle of least knowledge because that seems pretty self-explanatory, really. And uh, yeah, much I more precise. It seems more precise. Yeah, I think I have a little bit better idea of the motivation behind it and the things that you want to look out for as warning signs that you're that you're violating this principle in in a way that's going to be problematic down the road. Right. Let me ask you this: Would you ever add it as a Swiftlint rule that says you may not use two dots in in one in one line, or or may, like find a way to define you may not rely too much on the details of 
external. I probably would not. Maybe maybe with an extreme number of dots, but even then, probably not. Yeah, I feel like if you're in four and five, like something's gone wrong. Well, maybe, maybe. I'm thinking, what about one of your, like a a promise chain, though? Like you may easily have five dots in one of those chains. Right, right. And it's still one statement, right? Right. Yeah, that's definitely Um, different than like, because you're causing an action to happen each time. And I feel like that's different to me than like touching a property each time. Well, how are you going to tell Swiftlint that, though? That's true. That's fair. So it is something that I will look at, look for in code review and be able to better defend in code review now, right? If I say, like, look, you're, you're sort of reaching pretty far from your object here, and here's where I think it crosses into, uh, like, it crosses a boundary into a different part of the app, and maybe this is an indication that this needs to be, a, like, implemented as an API in that part of the application for you to consume here. I think that's really my, my biggest takeaway here. That and, and again the same sort of just testing implications in terms of dependency management that we, we grapple with every day. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's a pretty, pretty sensible approach to, to this problem. And, Oh, uh, I, before we conclude, I wanted to mention too, um, obviously if your app is split into modules, then you can use Swift's access control rules to, to really enforce good practices here. Right. Right. But the takeaway is that your, the design has to happen upfront. If when you're at the point of making the chain of all the dots, something has already gone wrong. Oh yeah, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that you can't go back and make it right when you find yourself writing a chain of dots. Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing I have about Logic Meter is that the, it's not about the call site. It's about like the call site shows you that something has gone wrong, but the actual problem is elsewhere, not at the call site. The actual root of the problem, and I think that's the core of what I'm trying to get at. That makes sense. And the problem might be just be that this use case hasn't been considered before, right? It it may not be uh, as like insidious, right. like right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that that was fun. That was interesting. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add. Do you? No, that's it for me. This is an interesting topic. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a semi side related question here. Sure. When you let's say you're making a new type in Swift, uh, let's say a struct class, whatever, and you need it to be initialized with a couple things and maybe a couple dependencies. When you initialize it with those things, you obviously have to store those things into properties on that object. Do you make those properties public or private or read only public or anything like that? What do you what do you decide to do there? Um, hmm. Let's see. Because the the issue that I'm that I'm foreseeing and I'm worried about is that if it's public, then you kind of can skip over all of the the like constraints that that object puts into place for you and jump right over them touch the actual right. dependency inside and just do whatever you want i would say uh obviously it like varies on a case-by-case basis i would usually default to making them private and until there's a use case for them to be something else right okay that makes a lot of sense i used to in objective c i used to always make them read only on the outside i guess so that you could init it with the thing and then check that you initiated it correctly but, you know, yeah. the more I think about it, I think that it was just wrong. I think they should just be private. Well, and we have uh, that, like, specific check is maybe less useful in Swift because Swift will warn you if you didn't initialize something, right? Right, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I would say make your, your dependencies should be private and you should provide API to do things that involve those dependencies. And uh, if your dependencies need to uh, become... 
uh, maybe in, internal, that seems like in some cases that's reasonable. If you're just exposing something that was given to you as a dependency is public, then there's probably something else. You probably want to do something else. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Cool. I've, I haven't thought about that as a like guiding principle for too long here, but uh, I think it's right. Yeah, it seems, seems right to me too. Awesome. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you everybody for listening and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Later.